Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's a Continent. How's it going? Welcome back. Welcome back. We are doing good. The sun is out. Things are reopening. Yeah, we're taking advantage. This summer eyebrow lady, all was well. Honestly, I went actually to get my nails done. It was just so nice. I know this sounds weird, but just like to have someone hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll take that. <laughs> Gosh, I feel like maybe my family just aren't showing me enough love or whatever. I don't get hugs anymore. But it was just, honestly, she was just holding it. And I was like, wow. Obviously, she had gloves on. But I was just like, this, <laughs> I'm never gonna, like, ever, ever complain about these moments ever again. I just love this so much. But did I tell you, right, before everything, we had, I don't know, our 50th lockdown in December, when I went to see them, she took about two hours on my nails and it normally takes about an hour or whatever. She was like, honestly, I'm sorry, I don't normally take this long, but it's just because I don't know when I'll be able to do this again. And I almost shed a tear. No, you know what? Yeah, it's actually nice because at the same time you are contributing to these small businesses. So it, yeah. All about the small businesses, honestly, all about them. That is definitely my aim. I'm going to start and try like, as we're reopening, just buying and getting bits and pieces from small local businesses because we gotta keep you guys going love it no absolutely okay so where are we with our african pride this week kicking things off i would like to give mine to david gathu and moses kinua two inventors from kenya these two men created a robotic prosthetic arm controlled by brain signals. If you guys know me, I love a bit of kind of med tech and all of that stuff. The reason they decided to do this was to support amputees and provide them with greater independence. What makes these two guys incredible, not just the fact that they came up with this and pulled this together, is that they couldn't continue with their university study because of funding. So they basically became self-taught engineers and decided to create something to help others. I've never heard of the term self-taught engineers. I don't self-taught think I could engineer. imagine. Do you know? Like I'm I wouldn't even be able to get the title self-taught gardener. I can barely yeah. keep a plant, an indoor plant alive, let alone, you know, creating a robotic prosthetic arm. This is next level. That is incredible. Next. Amazing. So thank you to the two of you guys. And also thank you, LinkedIn. Who knew people are sharing these amazing stories on LinkedIn? You know what? It's nice to see these kind of stories from LinkedIn rather than someone telling you that woke up at 4am and that's why they're successful. So yeah, there is that. This week we are in Togo, a country located in Western Africa, sandwiched between Ghana and Benin. In this episode, we're keeping up with one of Africa's longest-serving dynasties, the Iadema dynasty. They have ruled Togo for over half a century and are beaten only by North Korea's Kim dynasty, which has been around since 1948. The Iadema family is the oldest autocracy on the continent. And this stat honestly blew my mind. (laughs) Over 90% of Togo's population 
have only experienced the one ruling family. Over 90% of the population. That's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because especially with that comparison you have about North Korea. But there again, we don't, uh, a similar thing is happening in Togo, but, you know, we don't, we don't know. We don't have a clue, really, do we? No idea. I did not even know there was an African dynasty like this. So how did the Iyadema dynasty come to exist? The family's rise began with Nasingbe Idiema, previously known as Etienne Iyadema. And yeah, he changed his name once he came into power. Born in 1935, he grew up at a time where his country was under French colonial rule and known as French Togoland. Very imaginative. Love it. Love the imagination of these colonial rulers. <laughs> Nasingbe and his family had very little whilst he was growing up. But he leveraged his strength and skills as a wrestler, which helped propel him into a military career. He joined the French army aged 18 and served in Benin, Indochina, Algeria and Niger. Now, whilst he was climbing up the ranks, Togo became absorbed into the decolonisation trend sweeping across the continent. And on the 27th of April 1960, the country gained independence. Was Sylvanus Olympio, who sounds very Italian. <laughs> <laughs> becoming its first post-independent president so if you've been listening to us since day one you know how the story goes an african country gains independence and then we throw in the c word not that c word coup (laughs) we like to keep it we keep it clean on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) well that whole pattern was actually created by togo this is what happened. Sylvanus was the first post-independent president to fall victim to a coup. And then we kind of see that trend happen throughout other African countries. That trend started in Togo. There was just... Like, like, I'm, I'm not really sure if you want to claim that. Like, no, yeah, it's probably not something, <laughs> probably not you, know, something you want to shout you've... about. But... <laughs> it's definitely not one to add to the profile. Definitely But not. it's just... Yeah, I had no idea. Just these straight, just random facts. Random Random facts. facts. So what happened to Sylvanus? Well, allegedly, he was assassinated by Nyasimbe just three years into his presidency. Following Olympia's death, Nyasimbe gained greater power and became lieutenant colonel. And Nicolas Grunitsky, the then prime minister of Togo, became president. But for Nyasimbe, having control of the military wasn't enough power and so in 1967 he removed Nicolas and made himself president removed is probably um a lighter term for, for... yeah we yeah but we've seen this with so many countries where it's just like I think I'll fancy that job actually so I'm gonna take you out take you out and yeah <laughs> maybe take take out and then I'm gonna take that job instead pretty much yeah. I mean Unfortunately, this is the sort of thing that happened with Thomas Sankara, right? In the previous episodes, yeah. going way back to season one, you'll find that story. But it is good news to hear that Blaise Compaore has actually recently just been charged with the 1987 murder of Thomas Sankara. So, you know, it, it will We're catch still up. We're getting justice yeah. even, yeah. It will, it will take a long time, but it will catch up. Once Nancy became president, he set out to be in power for a long time. And by long time, we mean eternity. One of his first actions as president involved abolishing all other political parties. Alarm bells! (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a classic part of the despot triangle, isn't it? You know, if that's the first sort of move, if someone says in their manifesto, if you elect me, I'm going to abolish other political parties, it should probably be a kind of red flag. In 1969, he also introduced his own party, the Rassemblement du Peuple Togolais, RPT, which became the only political party available in Togo until 1991. Also, you can so tell this guy was so not into politics because, you know, majority of the time, some of these leaders, they have their own political party. They decide I'm going to take out the current president, become president. This guy, he didn't even have one. He was like, okay, I'll become president and then then I'll create the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm not about following the rules, guys. I'm not about that. As a military veteran, he made sure to keep the military on side by arming them with power and capital, since they basically had helped him get to the presidential table. With the military on side, he brought in rules to keep citizens in line. This included requiring them to adopt Togolese names, which is why he went from being known as Etienne to Nyansebe. On the whole, he ruled by fear and showed a complete disregard for human rights and the constitution. And according to researchers, this fear essentially led to over 1 million people leaving Togo to seek refuge elsewhere. As there's a lot of ground to cover in this story, it is a dynasty after all. (laughs) Let's fast forward a few decades, else we'll literally be going through human rights abuses and yeah. All the good stuff. A lot of, yeah. As Nyan Sebe approached his 25th year as president, the early 90s saw him face huge pressure, both from his people and the international community. This led to the reintroduction of political parties. Yeah, it only took 25 years for us to get that back. <laughs> Which placed him at risk of losing power. But somehow, he managed to win every single presidential election. Wow. So how did he go about doing this? Well, the first election, which took place in the early 90s, I think 1993, saw voters and political opponents threatened and killed which led to Nyansebe winning the election with over 95% of the vote, with less than a 36% turnout. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to mention that vote that people keep talking about, but it kind of puts that into context, doesn't it? Imagine. (laughs) Then, in the late 90s, so this was the second election that the country had seen post-independence, he decided to close media and telecommunication across the country, stopping the broadcasting of the results. That's it. And this isn't a complete moment of coincidence. This is obviously a coincidence. Nyan Sebe went on to win the election that year with 52% of the votes. So it's getting very close between him and his competition. But yeah, this was basically a pattern which he repeated again and again. And yeah, that's how he just kept going basically you know this kind of reminds me of like there have been recently this year i feel that there have been quite a lot of stories around countries being ordered to shut down their media and it's a little bit of a worrying precedent that i didn't realize that this kind of activity was happening in the 90s you know i know i just thought because of social media being new that it was more of a recent thing i guess with a lot of these movements starting from kind of young people and online But actually, it was, yeah, as you said, happening way back when. Now, as we mentioned before, in the 90s, the president faced greater scrutiny from the international community. In 1993, the European Union penalised Togo by placing sanctions and stopped the country from receiving over 40 million euros in funding from the European development. For a country where the majority of households live in poverty, not having access to that funding was difficult, to say the least. 
The aim of these penal measures was to push the president into making improvements and bettering the situation in Togo. Still, not much changed. And in 2004, when EU representatives went to Togo to review the changes which had been made, they came back and said it was still yet too early to make an assessment of development in Togo. Can I just say, I was thinking about this, they had cut away kind of 40 million in funding. And it's that piece around like, they're trying to punish the president at the time, but they're also heavily punishing its people. And it's just that really like, uneasy situation of what do you actually do because then by removing the funding you're punishing the people but then by keeping the funding you're furthering all of this again so yeah yeah it just kind of I had that point that there's not really is that right or wrong <laughs> yeah no and I think there were discussions around I remember you know with the whole NSARS movement that's happening in Nigeria and I remember that after the Leki Tollgate tragedy mm-hmm. I remember there were petitions for some people saying you should sanction Nigeria. But actually, it's like, well, if you do that, you're actually causing a lot of harm to the people who aren't necessarily upholding those particular structures in place. And as you say, yeah. it's a similar thing we see here because it's not the people that are running this regime, it's the president. And of all that, literally, it's the most powerful yeah. person in the country. Like, there is no, like, how do you... Like, if you sanction him, he's eating, he's eating, he's still eating at dinner, you know. So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's still going to have exactly. a roof over his head. Like, it's, yeah. On the 5th of February 2005, at the age of 69, Yasin Bey's rule came to an unexpected end. He suffered from a heart attack and passed away whilst travelling from Togo to France to receive medical treatment. This is another thing as well. Like, it really annoys me when these leaders, they'll screw their country over in some cases and then they'll travel abroad for treatment. It's like... Honestly. <laughs> just... like... How <laughs> this guy he'd he'd been there at this point of his passing thirty eight years in power and you couldn't you could even David organize have... <laughs> a decent yeah. hospital in your own country name it after yourself whatever have everything that you don't yeah. have to travel have your statue you know I mean? outside you then right? have to travel abroad in order to seek medical treatment because you've not been doing a good enough job for Honestly, the past thirty eight years it baffles me and I'm just sick of seeing it all the time it's almost like oh. Yeah, he's gone, he's gone to the UK for treatment. He's gone to Spain, gone to Singapore. And it's like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, where are the rest of your population going if that's where you're seeking <laughs> medical treatment? Well, I <laughs> dread to think, Do you know what I mean? According to studies, this is just how wild the amount of money he had. He had amassed a fortune of close to $3 billion. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, the population, everybody's on $3 billion and we're all just flying out to France to receive medical treatment. I don't believe that's the case. But to have so much money, but not even put that into an investment yeah. into your country, considering you're waiting for 40 million from yeah, Europe. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, but you have 3 billion it's sitting in the bank. I'm not the yeah. greatest at maths, but... No. That doesn't add up. That's, that's no. not adding up. For it's me. this kind of thing we see about people in positions of power, though, as well. You always have people, I mean, even here in the UK, you've got, what was it? How much did Pretty Patel spend on her eyebrows? You know? So you've got, yeah. you've got that as well <laughs> to consider. The president's passing also provided Togo with the opportunity to hopefully experience a new form of leadership. So, how does the country really move forward? And an interesting point which a journal article raises, says that Nyasimbe's death left 5 million Togolese people deeply impoverished and with little experience with either opposition politics 
or true democracy. Which is actually a fair point. How do they really move forward? Because they've never experienced something before Yansebe coming through. They had Sylvanus Olympio and he got taken out in about not too long. And then before that, it was France. So they've actually never had a stable government that they could trust and actually trust to really support the population in kind of moving forward. And so if you've not had that guidance, how do you really... Yeah, how do you actually take it forward? Where do you go next? Yeah, no, it's definitely a good question. Now, the president has passed away and hopefully there's a potential of a new president. The idea of a Togo under new leadership was quickly shut down when the military general, Zakarai Nanja, announced that Nyansebe's son, Fore, would succeed his late father as president. Wow. Just I think like he's that. like, I think they've conflated the idea of a presidency with royalty and kings. And- Do you know what I mean? It's just been a bit weird mashup between the two. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a bit of confusion there. At the time of the announcement, Foray was Togo's Minister of Telecommunications, Mines and Equipment. That combination, I I don't know. I've never heard of a Minister of Telecommunications, Mines and Equipment. Is that just me or does it just sound a really random co- like combination? It just, it's just—it's a bit Mickey Mouse, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Respects to anyone who holds this current position. <laughs> Pos- p- yes, position. Please tell me. I need to figure out what, what it does. So Foray's father had a strong relationship with the military. So when he passed away, the military wanted continuity in leadership and they wanted someone who would continue to serve them. And it kind of made sense, didn't it? Hopefully, like father, like son. Not sure if, not sure if hopefully, but you know. <laughs> but this is from a military perspective. This is not my own voice. Oh, guys, yeah. If you're listening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the idea of Foray becoming president was something his late father had been preparing him for. Initially, this started through the appointment of his son as minister. And in 2002-2003, Nyansebe gave the constitution a bit of a refresh, also known as I'll update it as and when it suits me. He lowered the age requirements for becoming president from 40 to 35. And at the time of this update, Foray was 36 years old. So it was all within his plan. He had a little strategy happening just behind the scenes actually it's not even behind the scenes it's right in front of the population if you're changing the constitution thinking about it you know what we don't even need your house of cards can we have something similar but it that takes place in togo imagine <laughs> i swear netflix is missing a trick on some of these stories because Mate. i would be hooked like i'm hooked I now right now i'll be honest <laughs> Riveted. I need to get into that. Never got into it. I feel like I'm always late to these things. I never, never watched Game of Thrones. You know what? I didn't think I would be into it, but somehow it has become a bit of me. As for Game of Thrones, I missed that bus and I've come to accept that. And the ending wasn't <laughs> that good anyway, so I haven't missed out at all. Yeah, that's what people have told me. So I'm holding to the fact. Maybe the next thing will, I'll follow the trend then. Foro's presidency was poorly received by the population as it went against the constitution. And so the government quickly had to find a new way to legitimise Foray's presidency. Normally, Togo's constitution had an article which provided instructions on what should happen if the president was to pass away. The article stated that, in case of vacancy in the presidency of the republic by death, the president's function is exerted temporarily by the president of the National Assembly and the organisation of a presidential election within 60 days of opening of the vacancy. This would mean that the role of president should have gone to Mr. Fambare Nachaba Kwatara, 
who was the president of the Togolese National Assembly. At the time, Fumbari was away on a trip to France, basically asking slash begging the EU to provide financial support to Togo. But having Fumbari serve as a temporary president couldn't happen because the government needed to legitimise Fulre being placed in this position. And so Parliament resolved this issue by prohibiting Fumbari from returning to Togo so he couldn't assume the role of president. The second part of the constitution mentioned that an election would be carried out within 60 days of the president's passing, so parliament decided to altogether remove any mention of this from the constitution. So the constitution, you can just sort of like cut, paste, rub yeah, out. Yeah, take out, just rub yeah. out. <laughs> Red <Redact. doesn't>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, we are just redacting constitutions now, that's what we do. We don't even ask the population yeah. what they thought. It was just blatantly done in front of them like oh, okay we've got a yeah sorry what? 60 page. days i've never uh, never heard of that before like what the togolese government's blatant disregard for its people and constitution led to protests and demonstration within the country togo also faced extreme pressure from the united nations eu and the african union to reverse the decision they'd made and restore peace to the country this pressure led to a slight change the togo government tried to appease its people and the international community by holding an election. Of course, Foray won the election. Its legitimacy is questionable. Since his placement, like father, like son, very little has changed in Togo. Foray continues to dominate in elections as the question of voter fraud continues to surround him. Now, whilst we share these stories, it's also important to recognise those pushing for change and creating movements to help make a positive difference. One of the people that we've wanted to highlight is Togolese activist Farida Naborema. In 2011, aged 20, she co-founded the movement Foray Must Go and created a video giving Foray 60 days to resign or face the wrath of the Togolese youth. This placed her under great danger, especially as the threat of death was and continues to be her lived reality. Also, we're just gonna put in a trigger warning as there is a mention of torture. In a 2018 TED talk, she states, as an activist, I am less concerned about dying than how it will happen. Sometimes I just sit down and imagine all scenarios. What are they going to do? Are they going to cut my ears first? Or are they going to cut my tongue because I'm always insulting them? And we've put the TED talk in the episode show notes if you want to watch that. For me, it's just to have these questions and concerns in the back of your mind, but still fight and push for change is just incredibly inspiring Mm. and there's an undeniable fundamental belief that change can happen but kind of listening to her title you really get a sense that she's not out here blue sky thinking she's very realistic and she kind of states that she recognizes that this likely won't happen through voting because the government control basically everything you know the courts the press like absolutely everything but it made me think about how do you then achieve change if the very structures that have been placed in society to help you push for change are also corrupt and are also so easily influenced by the president who basically has the most power Mm. you know like I just found it like how how do you move away from this really yeah and I guess as well it's just it, it goes to show, you know how whenever there's a regime and whoever is kind of like di- seen as a dissident, there always is punishment for like dissident groups. 
but then they still are doing what they're doing yeah it just goes to show how much they are valuing their cause Mm. and that they are literally prepared to put their life on the line for that for that no definitely absolutely where are we now well the dynasty continues with 4a still in power at the time of this recording in april 2021 he is still in power he is definitely living up to a quote his father had shared with him which was to never leave power so that guy is definitely never yeah leaving power i just feel like one of the things kind of doing research on togo and everything that really stayed with me was farada's ted talk i absolutely love TED Talks Mm. in general but it just made me think about with two weeks ago's episode on the Chagas Islands and this one here we're talking about things that are happening today right here in 2021 yeah and Farada in it makes a really good point around from our perspective we live in a country which is free and stuff and she says there's this tendency for those living in a free country of assuming that those who are oppressed tolerate their oppression or are comfortable with it Mm. and that democracy is rejected as a progressive form of governance in such a way that those people who don't live under democratic countries are seen as people who are not intellectually or maybe morally as advanced as others but as you can see through the work she's doing that is not the case and obviously I'm not saying let's start a movement but it just made me think about how these stories don't just become a bit of history that you've just found out in the past I don't know half hour Mm. whatever but that you somehow find a way to actively participate because these leaders can't silence the whole world if you see my dream yeah so we can talk about this right because we are able to raise these issues whereas if we were in togo we might have difficulty with that if we live in environments that allow us to criticize other governments or state rulers etc then we should kind of take advantage of that oh absolutely and i think that's definitely what this kind of story and also the Chagos one as well Mm. that we covered just really left with me around using that opportunity and freedom to actually openly criticize because we can do that we are free to that and we have done it a couple of times (laughs) (laughs) we don't see yeah but it is in a way we're like wow I can cuss out leaders and I'm I'm gonna be okay you know but for many people that's not a reality just something to just think about and stuff that kind of left with me but thank you for listening i just can't believe i never thought there was a dynasty in the continent but yay learning something new every episode and we will see you guys in two weeks time where are we next we are in Ceuta and Melilla next time so that will be an interesting story another topic suggested by one of our lovely listeners but i think we're gonna do we should probably do another like get feedback on which episodes you want to cover in our next season as we start thinking about that so yeah yeah make sure you're following us on our social media to find out and interact with us so we are on instagram at it's a continent pod and we are also on twitter at it's a continent perfect and just one final thing to add is we also have a website now guys yes it's a continent.com you'll find all the episodes we also keep that up to date lots of bits and pieces and features and just general information about us so please make sure to also go and check that out the link will be on the episode show notes and also on kind of our instagram and social media as well so thank you for listening and we'll see you in two weeks time all right see you guys bye